Welcome to the official podcast for the National Association for Business Economics, your one-stop shop for catching up on the latest in business economics on the go. Be sure to hit the follow button and the bell icon to stay up to date on our latest releases. Today's podcast is the replay of the PhD Job Market Webinar hosted on September 13, 2022. Over the next hour, our distinguished panelists dive into the 2022-2023 industry job market and provide guidance on how to nail your interviews. Without further ado, I will hand it over to the session moderator, Ida Johnson, Associate Director and Economist at Chewy. Ida, take it away. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, it is my pleasure to moderate today's webinar and um, let me introduce our panelists. So we have Dave Altig, a NAEP president and executive vice president and director of research at the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Uh, we have Tim Graciano, general manager network optimization at Convoy. Lorna Kamau, senior technical recruiter um, for economics at Amazon. And Fraser Thompson, who is the principal economist at Keystone Strategy. Um, so before we dive into the questions, we would like to do a very brief poll just to get a sense of um, who of you are will graduate next year, who of you will graduate from your PhD program in the future, or maybe you have already graduated to be able to tailor the answers to, um, to the audience better. So we'll maybe give you like 30 seconds just to uh, do fill out the poll. And as the answers um, roll in, I'll start with the first question, um, which will be directed to all panelists. Uh, and it is if you could give an overview of the recruiting process at your organization over the next few months, and in particular also highlight where you recruit and which jobs or job families are suitable for a PhD economist. Um, so maybe I'll start with Lorna on this one. Okay. Hi, my name is Lona with Amazon. So we are going to be recruiting at um, NIPTEC, which is coming up in November. We're also going to be recruiting at the AES, but technically Amazon recruiting is all year round. So we hire on a rolling basis throughout the year. And we'll also be doing some campus visits in the next um, couple of months. Perfect. And I'll also quickly comment on the poll results here. So most of the audience are will graduate in 2023. Um, so I think, um, and then we have a few people who graduate either before or after. Um, yeah, uh, Fraser, would you like to go ahead? Sure, thanks. Um, first of all, thanks to Nabe um, for having me and thanks everyone for joining. I'll say a super quick few words about Keystone strategy. Some of you folks may not have heard of us, so we're a strategy and economic consulting firm, um, relatively small, around, around 200 people. We do lots of um, economic consulting work, so litigation um, and regulatory support, and also strategy consulting. And our, our focus is on tech. Most of our clients are, are technology firms, although not exclusively. And as a result of that, NABE Tech is one of our favorite conferences to recruit at. So that's a big area where we'll be recruiting. Um, similarly, we'll also be recruiting at AEA. 
And uh, our applications are also open up throughout the year, although certainly the bulk of the effort and you know the bulk of when candidates are interested is in the fall and and early with excuse me early winter. Um, so this is sort of the beginning of the recruiting season for us. Um, we just have one position, which is the economist uh, position that that everyone enters at. Um, it's a client facing position doing um, economic analysis and research and also, you know, interacting with the, the clients that we serve. Maybe pass it over to Tim. Uh, yeah, so uh, we also recruit uh, on a rolling basis. Uh, as a tech company, uh, our positions come open throughout the year. We do hit a couple of the big stops on the econ recruiting side. We'll be at Nave Tech this year. Um, we probably won't be at the ASSAs. Um, I think over time, we've tended to focus more and more on NAVE tech um, and other sort of pre-traditional academic market conferences. Uh, at Convoy, we do have a specific uh, economist role uh, that's designed for kind of three main tracks, causal inference, EIO, and time series. Um, you know, the reason we do that is it lets us sort of interview specific to the skill set. It also helps our economists at Convoy kind of be a distinct role. And so when they're interacting with stakeholders uh, and on projects, they're, we sort of have an educated internal community that knows how and when to use an economist versus some of our other science roles. We do have some folks with econ backgrounds in uh, what we call our data scientist role. Um, particularly, we have uh, a lot of people with sort of a master's in economics. Uh, or a PhD in sort of an econ adjacent field uh, in our data scientist role. And uh, that role is similar. There's a lot of overlap. You tend to end up working on similar types of projects. And I guess I'm ne next on the list. Um, yeah, so um, I'm gonna, uh, generally speak broadly about the Federal Reserve uh, system um, uh, with just a brief reference to Atlanta specifically. Um, probably uh, uh, most among the, the panelists today, Fed jobs for uh, PhD uh, candidates are uh, very much like academic positions and the recruiting um, season basically follows the standard academic uh, uh, calendar. So most of the presence of Federal Reserve banks will be uh, at the ASSA meetings, or I guess they're really no longer at the ASSA meetings, but following the kind of rhythm and processes uh, of those meetings. Um, they, uh, there is some uh, prior recruiting um, at NAB Tech might be a place where uh, some Federal Reserve banks show up. Um, there is a, um, a, a finance um, association meeting where some re recruiting goes on, but uh, the standard kind of rhythm of the ASSA meetings is uh, where you're going to find most of the job uh, activity. Everything is a little bit in flux these days because COVID has sort of put the old time kind of process that I engaged in, for example, many, many, many decades ago, um, has put a, uh, pr pretty much, you know, the norms are not quite, a, quite established. Um, 
but I will say the following. I mean, there's a sense in which um, every um, recruiting does go on all the time. That is, those of us who are in the business of, of uh, thinking about talent we want to bring into our organizations are kind of always on the, out, on the lookout uh, for, for, for good candidates. So um, in some sense, kind of traditional networking activities uh, work, um, uh, are, are, are part of the recruiting process uh, writ large. Um, so I, of course, encourage you to join NAEP uh, as one of those uh, uh, networking opportunities. But the specific hiring timing is basically tied to the ASSA meetings. Um, thank you, Dave. So maybe um, we'll stay with you um, and um, let, let's talk a little bit about how the actual interviews work. And you mentioned that recruiting is similar to, to academia. So maybe if you and then our other panelists could, could talk about the specifics, like what can a candidate expect, um, you know, first interview, how many interviews and so on. Yeah, so the, the, the process, of course, starts uh, with uh, finding out where the jobs are. Uh, for the most part, so that uh, you can look at um, uh, the NAB the NAB site econjobs.org. You can look at job openings for economists, where many many are obviously posted, and it will follow the general process of you send in a kind of a standard packet of your vita, uh, your job market paper, and letters of recommendation from uh, from your advisors. Uh, the rhythm, of course, is that uh, there will be some recruiting committee uh, attached to uh, each of those job openings at the Federal Reserve Bank. Then there will be a set of preliminary interviews uh, um, scheduled. Who knows when, quite, quite frankly, because of my, uh, the aforementioned issue with um, the standard process of, of interviews at the ASSA meetings themselves is really sort of no longer taking place. The ASSA is trying to kind of um, funnel all of the interviews virtually the week before the ASSA meetings. I cannot tell you how many people are going to follow that protocol uh, exactly, uh, since I don't really understand what their enforcement mechanism is on that. But generally, you would get a call back for a preliminary interview. That interview will last 30 minutes to 45 minutes, uh, typically. Uh, and then there will be a uh, callback uh, for campus visits. In this case, you visit the bank uh, for much more extensive, uh, extensive interviews. Um, typically, each position for us has involved, um, when we're talking about junior newly minted uh, PhDs, um, generally we'll interview about 30 people uh, for, for each position. Uh, whittle that down to maybe five or six um, on-site uh, visits before uh, the, um, the offer is made. And the offer will typically may be made sometime in early February. So, you know, traditionally for academic uh, jobs that are, you know, Fed jobs look very much like those, um, you know, the process is pretty concentrated. Basically, it goes from roughly November to February, and then, then it's all over. If you are one of those who had their PhD before 2023 um, or before uh, this year, as a matter of fact, and um, are on a somewhat more senior market, uh, then that tends to be more of a year-round process. And um, 
that's a process where uh, basically you look for jobs that might pop up over the course of the year, but the new PhD market basically takes place right now, uh, essentially through, through, through February. Thank you. Um, so yeah, let, let's move on to to our other panelists. So, so maybe Tim and um, you know, in particular, if you could highlight today to you know if, if the interview process differs for for tech firms uh, as compared to academia and the Fed, and if so, how? Yeah, our interview process does uh, differ probably in two ways. One, a little bit the format, and then certainly the content and and what the interviews will look like. Uh, our interview process typically starts out with, um, uh, and again, it's more on a rolling basis, but let's say, you know, we'll do some interviewing at, at Nabe Tech coming up soon. Um, you'll have an initial conversation with a current economist working at Convoy. That will be focused on um, sort of a technical problem. Um, the technical problem will be a real problem. It will probably be a project that that economist has worked on in the last three to six months. Um, and you'll just talk through it. It won't be a trick question. It will be, hey, here's a here's a real problem. Let's talk through how you might approach it and what kind of data you would want to look at and how you would approach solving the problem using your toolkit. Uh, if that goes well, uh, we would pass you on to kind of our full interview loop. Um, this is sort of similar to the on-site stage of an academic interview. Um, where traditionally we would bring you out to Seattle. Uh, today, we might do that virtually. Uh, and you would spend uh, most of a day speaking with uh, sort of both current economists at Convoy, as well as non-technical stakeholders. So these are going to be people that you will be interacting with on a daily basis who don't have an economics background. And that's one of the major ways that working in a tech environment probably differs than academia. Many of the people you'll work with uh, on the science team will have different academic backgrounds, and then you'll also be interacting with software engineers and product managers and business stakeholders. And so you'll you'll meet and speak with a couple of those people in the interview process. And really, the goal there is to make sure that you can translate your analysis into language that's um, understandable and actionable by uh, business stakeholders. And so there, the focus is really on communication skills, but um, more than that, can you, can you help a business stakeholder translate a business problem into an economics problem and then, and then back again? That's kind of the core skill set. Uh, in terms of the content of the interviews, uh, they'll be very different from academic. We'll probably talk very little or not at all about your job market paper, uh, which I can understand is maybe frustrating after working on it for so many years. Uh, if you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it with you, but the interviews will be much more focused on uh, the problems that we're facing at Convoy. Um, and so technically, you'll be given uh, a scenario and asked to walk through it, um, how you'd approach a, a model and sort of build successively, starting from sort of basic first principles and then sort of account for additional complexities. Um, those interviews won't include sort of coding, um, but they will sort of uh, make sure that you can spell out a model, you can specify, you can articulate sort of which assumptions are core and must hold and which ones that you can be more flexible on. Um, and again, how you can translate a business problem into an economics problem. Uh, when 
The other thing that will probably be very different from an academic interview um, is you'll have a lot of behavioral questions. And these are really designed to make sure that you can thrive in an environment where it's not sort of purely your technical skills that matter for you to be effective, but how well you uh, can interact with a very diverse uh, team, a uh, very diverse set of backgrounds, um, and sort of not just uh, what you do, but how you do it. Um, you'll find, I think, based on the tech companies I've worked at in the past, you'll find a sort of a similar setup across a lot of tech companies where the interview will be a combination of testing your sort of technical background as well as your as sort of your leadership and how you how you approach your job. So, you know, there having some examples of times you TA'd or taught a class or interacted with your advisor, you know, an example where you disagreed with your committee and how did you push back and how did you either convince them or they convince you, um, you know, a time where you went above and beyond for maybe a student or a classmate and helped make them better. Those kinds of behavioral interviews are what you'll you'll run into. Uh, the good thing is most tech companies don't want those to be surprises. So they'll, they'll publish the types of values or leadership uh, principles that they're testing for. And they'll, they'll want you to come prepared with examples of those things. Um, so it's not something you have to kind of guess at. Um, and our recruiting team, I sort of assume this is probably true for Amazon, will be more than happy to walk you through sort of what you can expect in the process. Yeah. So I see, Lorna, yeah, you're nodding. Yes, I was actually nodding my head because I felt like Tim was speaking for both Convoy and Amazon. Um, so just to answer the question, tech interviews um, do differ from um, academia. Um, but just like Tim said, we start by reviewing your resume, which is usually done by a member of our recruiting team, as well as with the help of economists, because we have to ensure that we are placing you in the right skill set bucket at Amazon because we do have three broad skill set buckets that we do consider people for. And just to briefly mention those, it's usually reduced form causal analysis. We have structural and then we have time series. So once we identify which skill set bucket that you are going to be a good fit for, then we invite you for a font screen and or font screen. So it could be one to two, depending on the economist position that you are interviewing for. Once those go well, then we do invite people for our on-site, which is currently virtual. And it's usually about half a day of talking um, to five to six individuals. And these interviews are usually about 45 minutes to an hour. And they're both behavioral and technical. From a behavioral perspective, we are looking for you to answer the questions by correlating your background with our leadership principles, which are listed on our website. And um, a recruiter would actually send those to you ahead of time before your interview. And then as far as the technical interviews are concerned, we would give you a business case study, which usually has been already solved by another Amazon economist. And basically we're looking for you to talk through that, utilizing the different econometric methodologies, um, just kind of testing your knowledge of um, the different methodologies, as well as how well of a fit you can be for Amazon economist positions. 
And then once that is done, during the same on-site stage, which is virtual, you are going to be talking to two different teams at all times so that when the interviews are completed, then you either have one or two teams that are interested in you. And that's when we typically do our team matching. Um, just for reference, we actually do have positions across the US in different locations. Most of our economists do sit in our Seattle, Washington office, but we've recently um, hired some people in Northern California, Southern California, Washington, DC, New York, and Boston. Um, and occasionally we do have people in, in other of our um, hubs. Perfect, thank you. And Fraser, do you have anything to, to add here? Yeah, maybe just a couple of things. I think that um, uh, Keystone's recruiting looks looks similar to um, the tech recruiting that that Tim and, and Lorna explained nicely. Um, the only things to add, I'll say, is that so at, at Keystone we're we're a consulting firm, and so we're um, uh, of course client focused. And so one of the things that we're testing and looking for in the interviews, um, along the lines of what Tim talked about, is whether you can handle stakeholders, and those stakeholders could be internal, but a, eventually they would be external. Um, and so those communication skills are really important and um, listening skills are really important, understanding really what's being asked. Um, uh, we'll similarly walk through projects that we've, that we've worked on and, um, and listening carefully to hear what the client is really trying to solve in that, um, in that project is, is really important. The last thing I'll say that um, I think is important at Keystone and probably applies to um, some other tech companies as well. Um, at Keystone, we're uh, relatively small and relatively interdisciplinary. So we're particularly looking for folks who are you know, economists, but are able to be a bit entrepreneurial and apply their skills more broadly. Um, obviously, some economics positions at certain places are uh, intended for sort of very deep uh, technical knowledge on you know certain domain at Keystone since we're a bit smaller and since we have you know, lots of different applications and lots of different clients if you work at Keystone you're working on numerous types of um, of projects uh, we're looking for people who aren't um, uh, who are interested in a broad set of applications um, of their skills and even you know who are interested in applying sort of non classic economic skills to, to problems. And so um, that, that's another thing that we, we try to test for in the, in the interviews. Um, in terms of the, the structure, it's sort of similar again to what, what Tim and Lorna mentioned. There's a, typically a phone screen and then a, a longer day where you're talking to three or four people working through projects and, and behavioral questions. Um, thank you. So my next question is, um, do you have any recommendations or like what is it that makes a candidate stand out right first at the application stage where there's no in-person interaction but it's the resume and then there was also a question of what their resume should look like uh, you know for for academia consulting or the fed or tech firms you know like what is it that makes you more likely to kind of advance the candidate to the next stage and ultimately offer them a job um feel free to give examples or you know, just give us a little bit of like a taste for what the candidates should be aiming for. Um, who I will, I will let whoever wants to start go ahead here. So I'll, I guess I'll jump in. Um, 
So one thing that we all do have in common on this panel, I think, is um, this notion of good communication skills are, are pretty essential. I mean, I think the way Tim described it is take something, translate it into economics, and then translate it back uh, to, the, to your principal, uh, essentially. So in our case, it will be policymakers, many, uh, many of whom uh, are not economists. Uh, so they, you know, they don't naturally have the same language uh, that we have and the capacity to kind of take economic um, uh, concepts and put them in um, real person language uh, is, 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 is really critical. And I think it's probably critical in each of the types of positions that, uh, that we have. Um, it, you know, within the Federal Reserve, and I, this may be true for the other panels, it may not, we'll weigh in, but, you know, typically we are looking for someone working in a particular uh, subject area. Um, I noticed in the chat, there was a question about, do you ever uh, hire a micro theorist? Uh, within the Fed, the answer is, yeah, every bank may not be looking for a micro theorist at any time, and probably more of the jobs, well, obviously more of the jobs are in macroeconomics. Uh, uh, or monetary uh, economics than otherwise. But for example, back when I was in the Cleveland Fed, we had a colleague who worked on auction theory and uh, one of the thing, uh, uh, types of uh, roles that I know are very hard to fill within the Federal Reserve System uh, and we seem to always be looking for is uh, uh, applied IO uh, type, uh, type, type fields. So, you know, the best thing, um, you can do is try to see in, in what areas uh, any given uh, Federal Reserve Bank or the Board of Governors might be hiring into, because that's really going to be sort of the first filter. The first filter is, is this person working in the area in which we, uh, we, we basically have a, a, a position. Um, and uh, if the position has a policy bet to it, that's sort of obviously the business we're in. So that's one of the things. So in some sense, it's, you know, ex ante. Uh, it's not, uh, not, not really positioning yourself um, um, for what is going to be available when you get on the market. Uh, but ex post, you can sort of figure out what people will re really be looking for and whether you fit into that. Beyond that, anything you can put on your uh, resume or Vita to indicate that you have broad exposure to economics. Um, again, organizations like NABE or internships uh, in particular um, uh, places, they don't have to be Federal Reserve Banks, but where you're doing some sort of practical application, uh, any indication of uh, having um, uh, uh, um, practice with communication, teaching would be one of those, uh, is a very useful thing to highlight. So I think Again, there are some commonalities across the, th the things that make a candidate look particularly attractive. Thank you. Um, let's see, would anyone else here like Tim, I see you unmuted yourself. Yeah, I, I similar uh, to, to Dave, we're looking for kind of data points where you've been sort of entrepreneurial and gone out and focused on building some of those skills that we know will translate really well, whether that's teaching more and more there, we do see candidates with internships. Um, you know, a lot of the time in tech, what we're looking for is 
for you to send a credible signal that you're interested in technology and private sector careers. Uh, we understand that historically, at least, the dominant career path for PhD economists has been academia or, or research institutions. And so um, I think we're, you know, we're looking for students who are interested in going into industry, that, that they're interested in that, that they're pursuing that. Um, it's not necessarily a backup plan to an academic job search, although, you know, we understand that that happens. Um, you know, I think specific details we'll key off of is, um, especially uh, in tech, you know, are you going to be comfortable sort of coding outside of SATA? Have you gone and taught yourself Python or SQL uh, or some of the other tools um, that you'll need to be effective uh, in the industry? Yeah, have you done internships? Is your research topic applicable to some of the problems we're working on? Um, probably the only field restriction, although Dave gave the one example where we would hire an auction theorist because we, we use auctions at Convoy in our marketplace. Um, we're probably, we're really looking for candidates with some empirical experience because you are going to come and work with data. You're going to work with data that our marketplace generates. Um, and so, you know, if we're, that's probably the only profile we would rule out of someone who just has sort of no evidence of working with data and is doing sort of peer theory. Um, although a, an auction theorist, we'd probably take a hard look at. Um, yeah. Sorry. So does anyone else have examples of what really makes a candidate stand out um, beyond the average? I mean, I, I would say for Amazon, we're definitely looking for um, candidates with a PhD in econ or any other related um, PhD programs. Um, and then of course, I mean, if you've had an internship, it's a plus, it's not a requirement. Um, and then again, we're looking for um, that econometric experience um, as, as we review your resume and as you go through the process. And um, Ida, I also wanted to answer one more question. Somebody had asked what campuses we are going to. So starting from two weeks from today, we are going to be going to New York at NYU and Columbia. We have um, Buckley and Stanford. We have UCLA and UCSD, which is in San Diego. And then in Chicago, we have Northwestern and UChicago. And in Maryland, DC, we have Maryland College Park and Howard. And you should, um, your advisors will, will, should have already received emails from Amazon saying that we're going to be on campus on those dates. Thank you. Um, I'll add just a couple of quick things, sort of in, in my experience, some do's and don'ts, both at the application stage and then at the interview stage. Um, so there's been a few questions about applications and resumes. I think important on the resume is to um, try to make some of the interesting projects that you've worked on stand out. So uh, if whether it's your job market paper or other research you've done, or if you had uh, an internship where you did some project, um, if there's something that's really cool that you did there that you can explain in a few bullets, that can often be eye-catching and that's really exciting for us. Um, particularly if it's in the fields that, that we tend to work in. Um, that would be a do. Um, a, a don't is, uh, and this particularly happens at, at AEA, is to not have a tailored application, like particularly a cover letter. 
We sometimes see people who clearly are using an academic cover letter, but applying for industry. And so it seems like it's, they're probably not that serious. Maybe it's a backup. And so if, you know, if, um, whatever the job is that you're going for, if you're really serious about it, I think putting in the time to, to understand the business and, and have a dedicated uh, application is really important. Um, at the interview stage, I think a couple of things that, that stand out with candidates, we've talked about a number of them, you know, good communication, um, being able to structure an economic uh, problem well, um, and, and then the other one that I've sort of mentioned before is this entrepreneurialness, being able to um, be a bit flexible. The final thing I'll add there that I think is, um, you know, the soft skill, but I think it is important is some enthusiasm. You know, we get we get really excited when we interview candidates who have a couple uh, topics that they're really passionate about, um, some some work that they've done that they think is really cool, and some clear spikes in the in their skills. And so, if you can show those off, that's that's really great. You don't have to be excellent at everything, but if you have a couple of things that you're interested in, passionate about, and that you can show off your achievements in, that really makes a, a good impression. Um, thank you so much. So um, we have had quite a few questions uh, regarding coding skills, uh, and there's also a question about machine learning. So maybe if you could briefly comment how important having coding skills, and if so, what kinds of coding skills um, and also machine learning skills is to, to get a job at your organization? So I can go first. Um, it is not a requirement to know how to code at Amazon, um, but it is very beneficial. Not a requirement, so we do not test for coding for our economists. Is there a particular coding language that's like a better signal than the other ones? Not necessarily. Different people know different things. Um, but from what I've noticed, just looking at resumes, it seems like a lot of people that are graduating in this last couple of years do have um, Python, Stata, and all that. So, I mean, we do welcome any background that they have in tech, but not a requirement. <clears throat> yeah, I would say similarly at Convoy, it's not a requirement. Um, we want to see some evidence that you can teach yourself again, like all the work you'll be doing is empirical. So the exact language doesn't matter. Uh, over time, you will end up learning and coding in Python. Uh, and that's primarily because our, uh, not only our economists, but all of our scientists work very closely with software engineering teams. Um, and so you'll be working on models and building economic solutions to things that will end up in software and end up powering different parts of our marketplace. But, but that's something that we understand you, you can learn and teach yourself over time. Um, and so, you know, if we want to see some evidence that, you know, you've maybe moved beyond Stata in some way, um, but, uh, you know, we will not explicitly test coding um, in the interview, we just have learned over time that it's a, it's just a really bad signal if, you know, can you get the syntax correct on the whiteboard is really not um, something that determines if a candidate is successful or not um, once they arrive at Convoy. Um, so really, we're focused more on problem solving, communication, critical thinking. Um, you know, if from memory, you can write down perfect syntax is just you know, we all look it up on the internet anyway as we're coding. So 
<laughs> we're not going to pretend that it's required uh, for you to, to get the role. Um, but, you know, I would say more and more you are seeing scientists. Now, this is, I'm ta talking about econ specifically, but I'm just talking about all backgrounds of scientists. You're seeing them move more and more to languages that are dominant in software engineering just because it makes that collaboration so much easier. Um, so I would say most economists at Convoy, when they're working on a project, they start in Stata and kind of type that up and get the sort of framework. And then they'll migrate over to something like Python, maybe R, uh, as we get closer to actually implement uh, implementing it. Um, and in terms of machine learning, really quick, we are seeing more and more uh, candidates come out with some machine learning elements. The sort of uh, causal ML literature has been very dominant um, at Convoy. A lot of it has come out of um, the work that Amazon has been doing and the double machine learning um, literature or something that is heavily implemented there and at Convoy. Um, I think one of the benefits of coming to a tech firm is you'll end up working with scientists from other disciplines. And so you'll end up working alongside pure uh, ML folks with that background um, and you'll pick up a bunch of those skills um, and you'll cross pollinate. Um, and so more than having machine learning skills coming in, we're looking for you to be a good economist who's open to learning um, and you'll, you'll be able to influence your non-econ peers and they'll influence you and you spend a few years in tech and you'll come away with um, sort of a bunch of knowledge of common machine learning uh, tools. Would would anyone like to add anything here, or shall we move on to the next question? Okay, so um, we have a question here um, for Dave um, regarding the interview process at the Federal Reserve. So, is it different from the academic interview, and and if so, how? And and then also follow up question is if you hire environmental economists. Uh, so I'll uh, answer the first one. Um, it's really not different at all. Uh, so for the most part, um, uh, you're going to have the same kind of interview experience with a, a Federal Reserve entity as you would with an academic entity, uh, entity for the most part. I would qualify that with one thing, uh, and I guess maybe this goes in the do's and don'ts uh, category. Do ask a bunch of questions. Uh, and I think that would be true for any of us would say that because you, it, it's not just you trying to sell yourselves to us, we're trying to sell ourselves to you. Uh, and you kind of need to know whether we're a good match for the things you do. And, you know, whether you're at the Board of Governors or, you know, the different Federal Reserve Banks, there are different kind of expectations about what your career trajectory is going to, going to look like. Um, so unlike an academic environment, most of us don't have a formal tenure-like uh, uh, promotion process. We replicate it in some banks to some extent, but you want to understand sort of what, uh, you know, what the expectations are, not just for tomorrow, but for you kind of the, the career pathway. And of course, we don't have teaching requirements, but we do have po uh, po what we call policy or bank work. And different banks have different views of how you satisfy that. 
and what your day-to-day -day life is going to look like. And you kind, of, you kind of need to understand that. So that's typically not going to be the kind of conversation you have in an academic uh, interview where you know you're going to ask a simple question like you know what's my teaching load and what am I going to be teaching and you know what are my committee assignments and things like that the analog for us would be what's the bank work look like um, uh, what are your expectations with respect to my research output uh, and those sorts of questions which um, um, are are similar to the academic interview uh, but not but not exactly the the same. Uh, to the environmental, uh, so uh, the, an the answer is there's, I, I would not preclude the possibility of, of virtually any field within the Federal Reserve. We cover a lot of, uh, a lot of territory. So at the Atlanta Fed, we have macroeconomists, we have financial market economists, and we have microeconomists. Um, it, it typically is labor in our shop, um, but we have, for example, a colleague of mine does urban uh, economics. Uh, climate, uh, climate issues are, are huge in the system right now uh, because then there's a big, large Federal Reserve initiative on, on climate issues that generally help inform the supervisory, uh, bank, the banking supervision uh, responsibilities uh, of the Fed. And I guess maybe I'd say that as well. It's not just kind of the research departments that hire economists in all cases in the Federal Reserve System. Sometimes you'll find jobs in supervision and regulation. Sometimes you'll find them even in community development or something like that. So it's a pretty big tent. And um, the best thing you can do is just really keep looking for those, uh, look at the websites, to see what kind of work is going on at each of the banks. And then those, you know, either econ jobs or uh, Joe or something like that to see what people are looking for at any given time. But just because you're not, you know, a monetary economist, um, I think over the past decade, I've hired more non-monetary economists than I have monetary economists. So, so there's, uh, there's lots of opportunities. Um, thank you. So I would like to drill into those communication skills a little bit more. So I think something could be helpful for the attendees is if you have any example of a specific question that's geared at communication and, and like what a good versus bad answer might look like, just to give people a tangible example of what communicating in a non-academic environment looks like. Yeah, I, I can take a stab at that. Um, so like Tim mentioned earlier at Keystone, part of the interview process is going through um, several cases, so past projects that, that we have worked on. And so we'll give you the, the problem. Um, I, I answered something in the, in the chat that was you know, example problem might be that a, a client that we were working with had uh, introduced a new product in a new geography, and they want to assess the impact of that on their business or on, on the market more broadly. Um, and so one thing that's really important when answering a question like that is to start with some sort of structure. Um, so uh, candidates who do well are ones who take a little bit of time. You can even ask for some time, um, you know, say, can I take 60 seconds to, to structure my thoughts and write a few things down on a piece of paper? And then if you come with a, with a structured response, so you might say, you know, I want to think of, uh, about three things. I'm, I'm thinking that the model should be developed this way. I want to 
collect this type of data. And um, I, I think I can use this technique to, to get at that answer. That's a structured way of answering. Um, some candidates jump in without that structure, and that makes it a little bit harder to follow the, um, the thread of the answer, um, especially when you're at the beginning of, of solving a problem. So I think taking a little bit of time um, structuring what you're going to say before before you jump in can can be really valuable. And especially at the beginning of, of working through a problem, um, don't feel shy to ask for you know a minute to to structure your thoughts. Um, there's a chance the interviewer will say, nope, let's just do it live. But but especially at the beginning, it's common that that you can ask that and, and get a little bit of time. Yeah, I would say uh, similar to what Fraser said, asking clarifying questions, um, testing your assumptions is a great signal. So, you know, when you're given a question, instead of launching right in, taking a moment to say, all right, let me make sure I understand the client's business. Is this true? How, how does this work? Um, those are those are great signals. Um Specifically at Convoy, that one of the questions I use, if, if I interview you, I'll probably almost always ask you this question. I'll, I'll ask you about a time where you convinced someone who disagreed with you on something to take your side. Um, and there I'm, I'm looking for how well you communicate, um, how you're able to work with other people who have different views than you, bring data to the conversation. Um, and then I'll usually ask you the reverse as well. All right, now tell me about a time where you were unsuccessful. You weren't able to convince someone to take your side on something. And there I'm looking for your ability to work well with others, even if they disagree with you, build and maintain trust, um, make sure that you can stand up for something that you believe in in the workplace. You can argue um, your point of view um, and, and show um, that kind of backbone that you also know when enough is enough and you know to sort of move on and, um, and pursue a different direction as part of the team. Thank you. Um, do you have any other examples or shall we move on? So, well, I'll, I'll add one thing. So, uh, I mean, again, we're much more, we're gonna be much more focused on things like your your dissertation work and your job market paper. But I think the following sort of exercise is both a good one to kind of um, hone your skills, but also representative of the kind of communication you have to do working for a, a Fed, uh, is take, take your work and uh, do the following kind of thing. See if you can take six or seven slides with only charts and text slides with maybe three bullet points, not a not a page of uh, six font six font um, of uh, words um, and type type, and explain what it is you're doing, and from you know what's motivating you to do it, what how you're approaching the problem, and how what you conclude, and do it you know no equations in language that anyone can grasp either from just the plain English of it or by looking at pictures, which might or might not tell a thousand words. If you can do that, then you basically have the skill set that is going to be, that we're going to be looking for. Um, because that in fact is, you know, one of the things you'll be asked to do 
is get in front of, for example, a bunch of our board, our board of directors, which is a bunch of C-suite people. None of them are economists. And they're going to want to understand what we're saying uh, about economic phenomenon of various sorts in language that they can understand. Um, that that would that that's a that's a good talent, and it stands out if you can do it, uh, and um, and is and is highly sought after. So. We have talked a lot about communication. Um, let's pivot back to kind of technical skills for a little bit. Um, someone is asking, um, you know, that we have these three buckets that were mentioned, reduced form, structural, time series. Um, what, what if someone has a technical skill set that's a good fit for one of those buckets, but aspires to do work in another one later on? Um, what's the strategy for approaching, you know, open positions and the interviews in, in this case? I have a suspicion, um, but I, I work at one place and I'm curious to hear what other, others think. Um, so Keystone is, is relatively small, as I said, around 200 people and our economics team may be around 30 people. So we have quite a few people who are non-economists. So, um, so it's very easy and in fact, sort of essential for you to be able to play multiple roles as an economist. You, you, you don't join Keystone as only a time series economist and only do time series. You're expected to be able to do a number of things. Um, and so my, my suspicion is that depending on the size of the firm, there might be, uh, that might have implications for sort of amount of specialization, right? At, at larger firms, I, th I think there's more opportunities for, for specialization. Um, and it's, it's a firm as small as us, you sort of have to be a generalist. Um, and that's not to say that there's not ways to um even within keystone to affect what types of projects you want to work on what types of things you want to learn what types of uh, experiences you want to get out of it um but i think that that's that might be one lever um i, I don't want to speak for for other folks um so it would be great to get tim and lorna's uh point of view as well so so thank you for that question um usually i know like for amazon we have hired economists that have expertise or knowledge in more than one skill set of course um, probably stronger in one than they are in the other um, i can't put my fingers on anybody that i know has moved from different skill sets but i do know quite a few people that are either um, reduced form and time series at the same time so they can be able to perform their tasks and or work on projects utilizing either reduced form and or time series however what i can say is our economies do move from department to department and division to division or business unit to business unit quite often so if that is something that you would like to pursue and work with your leadership team as you apply for other positions internally um, that's something that would be highly encouraged um, of course if you have more than one skill set um, but I, I'd say it's it's a case by case basis. We don't have like a specific um, formula that we use to say if you're time series and you're interested in RFCA, this is exactly what you need to do. It's it's again it's a case by case basis, and I mean Amazon is such a big organization, so I always say anything is possible. Yeah, we we tend to take. Uh, backgrounds and fields most seriously in the interview process. And that's really just so that we can fairly evaluate you. 
Um, so we want to understand <clears throat> what fields you've studied, what empirical toolkit you come with. Um, if you are, you know, a labor economist, we don't want to ask you a bunch of forecasting questions, uh, mostly because it's just not fair to you. And uh, we don't want to walk away and say, oh, this person failed our technical screen when we were just probing in the wrong area. Um, all of our technical interviews have both a depth and a breadth section. So depth is where we're going to pair you up with an economist as close as we can. And uh, our science team is even smaller than Keystone's. I'm not, uh, I'm assuming all 200 maybe are, are economists at Keystone. We have about 70 people on our, on our data science team here at Convoy. Uh, not all of those people are economists. Um, and so on the depth, we're going to try to go as deep as we can in kind of your core skill set. Uh, and then on breadth, we're going to explicitly try to pull you out and try to see where do you start getting uncomfortable um, answering other types of problems. Um, and it's okay that you don't know everything. We, we want you to be a deep expert in something and then have some familiarity and less and less as you get farther away from what you wrote your dissertation about. And so we're we're trying to find where that stops. And we're also trying to really find if you know where you stop. We're really looking for candidates that can say, hey, you know, this is how I would approach that problem. I would do X, Y, and Z. I'm not an expert. I would know when I'm out of my depth and I would know to go pull in another person. I would know that, hey, this is probably a prediction problem. Let me go talk to the machine learning scientist I work with. Um, and so we would do that. Um, once you're at Convoy, you're gonna have to wear a bunch of hats. Um, you'll work on some projects that aren't explicitly sort of econ projects. Um, they're general data science projects and they're often inputs into larger econ projects, but you're, I think, um, going to enjoy and be successful, uh, at least in our tech environment, if you want that kind of breadth, if you wanna be exposed to a bunch of different types of problems. and. I would say, you know, most of your projects will take advantage of your uh, economics and econometric skills, but you'll you'll be working on larger projects in teams where there will be aspects of those projects that are uh, outside of econometrics, and it'll be an opportunity for you to learn um, and flex. So we we have uh, around three minutes left. So maybe I will leave it open to see if there are any kind of parting thoughts, uh, things we haven't talked about that that any of the panelists would like to highlight. So I'll go first. One of the things that I'd like to highlight is somebody asked how they would apply to Amazon. I did put in a job number on one of the questions. So if you go to the answered questions, you will see um, a job number that you can apply to. Of course, we are going to have, and we do have some jobs listed on um, the NIPTEC website, as well as we're going to have some jobs listed on the Joe website. So we encourage that you apply that way um, to one of our open positions. And of course, feel free to stop by our booth at either um, NIB as well as um, the AES in New Orleans. And we look forward to interacting with you. So I'll add uh, one thing. There were there were several uh, questions uh, floating around, which is was basically uh, in related to this. How do I get noticed? Look, having having uh, references and having someone uh, to um, essentially support uh, your candidacy uh, who knows you well is a great thing to to have. That's again, one of these reasons that networking, you know, at every stage of your career, 
uh, really is, is, is really, really important. I think it's an underlooked element of, uh, for kind of people, you know, toiling away and trying to just get their PhD. I'd be remiss if I didn't, once again, um, encourage you to join, join NABE uh, now and, and later, uh, but all sorts of trying to kind of connect up and get to know people and get people to know you well in the work you do is nothing but help uh, and positive. Thank you. So we have one minute left for a parting thought, if someone. I have a, a quick little one. Um, for those of you attending the NABE Tech Conference, um, I play in an economics rock band, and we're going to be playing a show on the Monday night. So if you're there, we would love to um, see all of you, a good networking opportunity for everybody. Yeah. Um, well, music quality, you can determine for yourself. Yeah. Well, um, we're on time, so I want to thank our panelists and our attendees. And yes, I encourage everyone to to keep networking and, and getting, you know, the questions you didn't get answered today, you can certainly find someone in your network to 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 maybe get them answered.